Did Jim say that the worship team never fails to disappoint? I thought so. <laughs> so I had to clear that up. I thought they were great, but maybe that's me. So this morning we're in uh, part three of our series, The Unsettling Solution to Just About Everything. And uh, week one, Jim opened the series, uh, and then last week you heard from my personal friend, Andy Stanley. I uh, brought the video. Uh, a few of you have mentioned that it felt like when the teacher's not there, and then they couldn't find a substitute, so they you know, showed a video instead. Um, but uh, we're super pumped to have that partnership and be able to show videos like that um, and be a part of our series and stuff like that. So it was a great message. He's an awesome communicator, so I hope you enjoyed it. But this week, uh, I'm going to make everyone in here a little uncomfortable, because that's something I'm good at doing. And uh, we're going to start off kind of with a bang. It's gonna, it might make you squirm a little bit, um, but it's Christmas, so, you know, everyone's forgiving this time of year. But uh, we're going to look at a list. And if you're uh, thinking about this, like, I hope you don't get offended, but I think most of us or a lot of us could relate to this list. All right, it's kind of uh, a question. All right, what do you call a group of lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful, porn-watching, tax-dodging, racist, jealous, judgmental, lonely, angry people who eat too much, spend too much, drink too much, medicate too much, worry too much, smoke too much, who gather together because they believe that Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light. What do you call it? The church, right? That's us. That's the church. And so if, you're, you know, if your adjective wasn't on that list, come talk to me so I could slide it in for the next service and make them feel a little more uncomfortable. But uh, that's the church, right? The church, if you showed up this morning never being part of a church and you kind of thought you were showing up to a place of perfect, holy people, I'm sure you were sadly mistaken when you walked in and you noticed that that's not what Journey Church is, but that's not what church really is, is that we're not a group of perfect people. The church is not just like a building. It's not even an institution or a guy with a big white hat, the Pope. It's, it's the group of people. It's our, the body of believers. It's all of us together. You and I, we form the church. We are the church. And we all have different backgrounds, different experiences, different upbringings. We were born in different areas of the country, maybe, different areas of the state, even different areas of you know, a town. We can have different upbringings. We have different beliefs, different experiences. If you ask you know, any five people in this room a theological question, you'd probably get four or five different answers, that we all have many things that we just don't agree on. We don't agree on everything, but I think we can agree on two, of, two things. And if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a, a Jesus follower, then I think we could relate on this, that there's two things that we do agree on. Okay, The first being this, is that... We believe that Jesus, or that God sent his son Jesus to earth to forgive for the forgiveness of our sins. I think we can all agree on that, that, that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. That's the first one. I think most of us agree to that statement. The second is that we believe that when he did that, when God sent his son for the forgiveness of our sins, he extended something to us. And something that now we are expected to extend to one another, even those that are outside of the church, that we're expected to extend this to other people. And if you've been here over the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about grace, this word grace, and what that means. And grace is, is what makes relationships work. 
It's kind of the, I want to say it's the glue that makes relationships work, but that goes against what I'm going to say next. But it's kind of like a main ingredient to relationships. Because grace is like the oil in a machine. If you have a car, most of you probably showed up this morning in some form of a vehicle, a truck or a car, then you get an oil change hopefully every, what, three to 5,000 miles, depending if you're full synthetic or not. Uh, I haven't bought a new enough car yet, then I need to get into all that stuff. But, you know, you have oil changes. And that oil, like I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about uh, mechanics, but I believe that the oil is so everything kind of runs smoothly, that your engine has hundreds of little parts inside of it. Some parts of the are, are, are so you know, finely manufactured that they fit together so perfectly to make that engine run that they need that oil or else they would, the friction would build up and they would actually destroy each other. It would destroy itself. And just like oil keeps your car running smoothly, it's what helps your relationships run smoothly as well. It's what allows you and your BFF to be BFFs. It's what keeps you guys, you know, you know letting things slide and, and being okay even though they said this or did that. It's what allows you to be such good friends. Grace is what, you know, keeps your marriage going. It's what, uh, you know, allows you and your spouse to connect, to, you know, love each other more and more. But maybe it's also the missing ingredient that made your marriage, you know, fail in the end. Grace allows people who are totally different from one another to come together and to work together, to do amazing things. With, with grace, two people with completely opposing views can come together and they could do amazing things. They could accomplish amazing things. Maybe our politics could use, our politicians could use a little bit more grace and more would get done. But grace is why we're here today. It's why we celebrate Christmas. Because God, our Heavenly Father, He initiated. He started this grace movement. He, he, uh, you know, you've sung about it a hundred times probably in various Christmas you know, services or on the radio. That, that line where it says, God and sinner reconciled. You've probably sung it, right? That's what Christmas is all about. It's the beginning of God's plan. It's step one in His process of reconciling us to Himself through grace. And last week we learned that grace is, it's invisible. It's not something you can touch. It's not something you can grasp or see, but it's something that has to be experienced, right? Grace has to be experienced. And the best way to experience grace is through relationships with other people, right? Like your coworkers, your spouse, friends, those that you meet uh, on the street. But through the context of relationship, that's when grace begins to shine. So when God sent his son Jesus into the world, he extended that grace to us. We learned about that last week. And that's when grace becomes amazing, is when it's extended to others. That's when grace like, was really just set off, when it's extended to other people. And God actually invites us to his amazing grace, that his grace uh, becomes amazing when it's extended to others. But God's amazing grace is his invitation to you to actually become amazing. And who doesn't want to be amazing, right? Like, I would love to be amazing. I think that would be a pretty good goal. But grace is our greatest opportunity to do that, to be amazing, to fulfill that, that longing in our life that we felt is missing. But it's not easy to be filled with grace, is it? It's not easy to show grace sometimes. Sometimes it's easy. There's certain people in our lives where you look at them and, and you just have this great relationship and things just slide, you're, you're cool with that, or they're, they're, you're good, and so it's, it's easy to show grace to some people. But if we were honest, I think we would all agree that some people are difficult to show grace to. 
maybe even some certain groups of people, some specific people. They're hard to show grace to sometimes. And why is that? Why is it so easy to show grace to one person, one human, but then so hard to show grace to another? And I think Jesus, he can help us out with that. He can, he can help us process through why does he think that it's so hard to show grace to other people? And again, like if you're, so if you're not a Christian, if someone just brought you and they invited you out and you're not totally sold on this Jesus thing yet, you get a free pass today. You get to kind of listen to this and watch your Christian friends here today squirm a little bit and wrestle with us. Okay, so you're off the hook on this. Jesus wasn't talking to you when he said this. Okay, when he asked these questions. But he, in Matthew, he starts with this. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And many of you have probably heard this exact illustration before, but why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And I know you're probably thinking, Brian, like it's Christmas. Can you just talk about sweet baby Jesus and the manger and then we'll go home and exchange presents and it'll be great? Like, why do you got to go all out on this, okay? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? I've, I've done woodworking a lot in my day. I enjoy it. And if you've ever had sawdust in your eye, it's not pleasant, right? It doesn't feel good. But a plank, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Many translations or people have thought it's like a log. It's so, I mean, there's only a certain size log that could fit there, but I don't think it would be a pleasant experience. And so as we wrestle with this, you know, you might be thinking, I think we have two, two answers that might come to mind when we process through this. Okay, your first reaction might be, now, wait a second. That's not a speck. Like that, that, that person that I have such a hard time with, that's not a speck of sawdust in their eye. Did you know, like, they're a Democrat. Like, that's not a speck. You know, like, they, you know who they voted for last year or the year before? Like, that's not a speck. Or they're a vegetarian. Like, they eat hamburgers that have no meat on them. Like, what is that? You know, like, that's not a speck. They watch Fox News all the time. Like, I can't, hand, you know, we got to do something about that. That's an issue that needs to be addressed. But maybe it's, it's more personal for you. Maybe it's you know, a, a situation in your life that you know, your dad ran out on you and you were young and your mom had to raise you and, and your brothers and sisters all on her own. And then he comes in years later and he's sick now and, and he needs help and he comes to you after all of these years looking for some help. That's not a speck, right? Like that's, that's not a speck. That's a, that's, that's a plank. That's like a whole forest of trees in that guy's eye. That's not a speck, Jesus. I don't think you've got this right, right? And then the next one, maybe, maybe it's your response is, I, I don't have a plank in my eye. Like, I just don't have one. That's not me. I'm not ignoring the plank in my eye because there isn't one there. I don't have one. Like, I, I see clear. My eyes are clear as day. My glasses are clean. You understand life for exactly the way that it is. You know how things work. You just know more than most people. It's plain and simple. You just do. And unlike other people, like your upbringing, these things, they didn't, they didn't shape you. They, they didn't affect you negatively. That Your upbringing, your environment, kind of the experiences you had as a kid or maybe as a young adult, the education that you have or don't have, the successes that you've experienced in life or the failures, like none of that influenced you in a bad way. Like you don't have a plank in your eye. Like you don't have insecurities or you took advantage of all the opportunities that were given to you and they were successful and you dealt with that success in a great way. 
Like you, you have good health. You know, like your IQ is up there. It, everything is going well. You're smarter than that. These things don't influence you the way they've influenced other people's lives and made them train wrecks. Like you're not, you don't have a plank. You're fine. Jesus must have been talking about someone else. Or Jesus was probably wrong. He's been wrong before, right? Wrong. That's a trick question. But you and I, we don't have planks, right? Like, we're good. We're clean. You've got the wrong guy, Jesus. Like, move on. But by the way, that speck that you were talking about in my friend over there, that's not a speck. That's big. That's a plank. So you must be confused. But Jesus, he's like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's move on. Let's go on a little bit. He says this, how can you say to your brother, okay? How can you say to your brother? Maybe it's your brother-in-law. How can you, what, you, know, how can you say to your ex-brother-in-law? Maybe it's a, a coworker or a sister or a sister-in-law or an aunt or an uncle or your boss. How can you say to them, let me take the speck out of your eye. Let me help you see clearly. Like there's obviously something that's in your eye that needs to be kind of cleansed out. You need one of those eye wash stations. Let me see how I can help you do that. Let me show you where the wheels kind of fell off in your life. Let me show you why that relationship ended the way that it did. Let me show you why your bank account's in the negative. Like how, how can you say that to your brother? All the while you are living a life that's just like it. How can you say this to your brother, let me take the plank out of your own eye. And on the next slide, he says, when all the time there's a plank in your own. How can you help them take the speck out of their eye when there's a plank in your own eye? Essentially, like, I see what your life is like. Now let me change it for you. I can't see past this in front of me, but let me fix you first. You're trying to fix everyone else, but maybe you need to spend a little more time focusing on yourself and realizing what's affecting you. Jesus, he then takes it up a notch in classic Jesus style. He's not done yet. He brings up two words that are often associated with Christians. Like This is kind of like hand in hand. A lot of times with people outside of the church, they use these words. And if you're kind of sitting on the fence on Christianity, and if you want to be one of these Jesus followers, it's probably a lot due to these words that Jesus says next. He says, you hypocrite. Whew. Silence. You hypocrite. And all the unchurched people are like, finally, someone said it, right? Someone said it. Finally, after all these years, someone can call these Christians out for the way that they are. You hypocrite, or you sinner, or you person who says one thing and lives another way. You person who you know, holds people to this standard of living, but you actually live by this one down here. You hypocrite. Do you know why God is able to extend grace to you? Why God is able to extend grace to me? Do you know why? Why God is so willing to give us what we don't deserve? Because that's what grace is, right? It's getting what you don't deserve, but maybe what you need most giving you what you don't, you know why God is so willing to extend that grace to you, even though he knows more than anyone else what you truly, truly deserve? You see, it's because God, he doesn't overlook sin. I think that's a, a key distinction there is God, he doesn't overlook it, okay? He acknowledges it. He knows your sin. He doesn't overlook it. He sees it and he chooses to forgive. He sees it and he chooses to forgive your sin and treat you as if you'd never sinned in the first place. And do you know why he did that? 
He decided to send his son, right, as a baby who grew up, who lived life, who struggled, who grew up and eventually was put to death to pay the debt that we could not pay, the debt for our sins, for yours and mine, reconciling us to himself through grace. And do you know why he did that? Because he knew you before your life began, before you know, he could see, because he could see you for exactly who you would become because of exactly who you are. He knew your upbringing. He knew the environment you were going to be born in. He knew the experiences, the education that you would have, the education that you wanted to get, but you just couldn't. He knew about the health issues that you would come up with, come up against, the successes and the failures, how you dealt with those in a good or a bad way. He knows how you were raised. He knows maybe the way your dad treated you or your mother treated you, the things that she said to you that she could never take back. He understands the success that you've had, how hard that was to deal with, the hardships, the insecurities, the opportunities you were scared to take advantage of. He knows all of that and he took it all into consideration and he decided to extend grace to you. Think about that. Like think back through your life that someone saw all of that record and decided, you know what? I'm going to give them what they deserve least. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to show them grace. The Apostle Paul, we've talked about him a, a thousand times probably. He's, he's self-proclaimed as the biggest hypocrite of them all, a guy who knew the law better than anyone else. Okay, So the Apostle Paul, he wrote this in Romans. He said this, but God demonstrates his own love for us. He demonstrates. He didn't just write about it. He didn't talk about it. He didn't like give a, a, like just a sermon on it, even though he gave many of those. He demonstrated it. He put on a, dis, a demonstration of his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I'm sure many of you have heard that, and you've just been like, like that's heavy. But think about it this way. Paul, Paul was alive when Jesus was crucified. He was alive. Like he he was alive during that period of time. And so as Paul wrote this, he was reflecting back that while Jesus was hanging on the cross, Paul was actively in sin. Like he was actively sinning the very day that Jesus was being hung on the cross. That while he was still a sinner, while he was actively in sin, Christ died for him. Like, that's something that we can't really grasp. That, you know, we know that that already happened, but that happened while he was alive. How heavy is that? How heavy is that? That's what grace is all about. And I think if Paul was to rewrite this and, and kind of like project forward and think of us and put it in, and have us in mind when he penned this, I think it would sound more like this. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Knowing ahead of time the sins that we would commit and confess, and repeat, and confess again, and repeat, and probably confess again. Like, do you see that? Like, that? That's what God, that's what Christ has done for us. That even though we sin, we ask for forgiveness and repeat, that he extends that grace to us. God, seeing your whole story, your ups and your downs, your lows, knowing how it would play out, he took it all into account, and in return, he gave you what you deserved least, but what you needed most. And today, he's asking us to extend that same amount of grace to other people. 
Now, before we end kind of this morning and, and before we get too close to the end, I want, I want to make sure that you guys don't leave this morning with the wrong idea. Like I'm not, that whole point of this isn't for you to go home and to think, you know what, I'm just going to be a better person. I just need to be a better person. Okay, that's not the point of this. If you're a terrible person, maybe you should start to be a better person, but that's not the point of what this message is about. Jesus says this, the place that all of this begins, the starting point for becoming a better person, before you even get to that, he says, first, you've got to take the plank out of your own eye. First, take that plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly. Okay, you've got to focus on yourself. Before anything else happens, before you try to become a better person, before you even try to show grace to somebody, you need to take a hard look in the mirror. You need to take a look at yourself in the mirror and see if there's any planks there because you'll never get this right. You'll never get grace fully right until you first take the plank out of your own eye because here's what I know. Planks get in the way of grace. They do. Planks get in the way of grace. And once you're able to remove what's, what's bringing you down, once you're able to remove the plank from your own eye, then, and really only then, will you have the ability to see that person for who God, the way that God sees them. And then you'll be able to see them for who they really are. And then you'll know how to extend grace to them in a way that they don't deserve, but they need most. The way that you've been called to do. So like the old commercials from the, you know, the early 2000s, got planks, right? Got milk, got planks. Do you have planks? Is there something in you that needs to be looked at? Is there something in you that needs to be removed so that you're able to give grace where it's needed most? Because here's what I've found. This is, this is what I've found is that the more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, the more aware I am of that, the more time I spend in prayer and listening maybe to messages and podcasts and sermons and, and reading God's word and getting into that, the more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, like that, those are the planks that we have, like the things that God has yet to do in me, the more aware I am of that, the less aware I am of what he is yet to do in you. Not just the less aware I am of what he's yet to do in you, the less kind of bothered by what he's yet to do in you, the less offended I am, the less put off I am by it. Because the more aware you get with what God is yet to do in you, the more aware you get about the planks that need to be removed and making it easier for you to extend grace to people that need it most. And that's the reason for the season. That's why this is so important. That's why it's our Christmas series. That's why it's because God brought grace to earth. That's what we're celebrating. It's when, Christ, when God brought grace to earth, when it came down and God began to see us for who we really are. When God was confronted with our sin, when he came up against sin, he wasn't put off by it. He wasn't offended by it. He wasn't, you know, all that. It broke his heart to the point where he had to extend grace. When God was confronted with our sin, he was more brokenhearted than he was offended by it. In fact, he was so brokenhearted over it, he did something about it. He was able to extend grace and to send his son for people that don't and will never deserve it. He demonstrated it on the cross. And Jim, in week one, he told us that you know, Jesus, he was full of grace, 
but also truth. He was full of grace and truth. Two things that some people, you know, that it's like they're opposites, right? Like if, you, if you're going to show grace to someone, then you must not be speaking truth into their life because, you know, you got to blast them before you can help them, right? But he was the perfect balance of grace and truth. And the first, you know, this question that I want to land with, we have two more, is this. What are you full of? If Jesus was full of grace and truth, what are you full of? What spills out of you when you encounter someone whose you know, list of sins might be different than yours? Another sinner like yourself, because that's what we all are. The only difference between me and you is maybe the list of sins that are on my list that aren't on yours. But what happens? What are you full of when you encounter those people it, that that begins to spill out of you as you encounter that person? What comes out of you? Is it grace? Is it truth? What spills out of you? What planks are in there? How about this one? What are we full of as a church, as Journey Church? When someone's scrolling on Facebook and they saw that you checked into Journey Church this morning, what goes through their mind? Do they think, oh, that's a, that's a place of, of like, you know, judgmental, rude people who just shame others, who think they're better than other people, the hoity-toity people of Hamden? Like, what do people think? I've never used that phrase in my life, I think. It just came out. I don't even know. But what do, what do people think of when they think of Journey Church? Do they think we're full of grace and truth? Is that what they think about when they think of Journey Church? Because this is what I know. The church, like you and I, us as people, but the church more specifically is most appealing when grace is most apparent. The Journey Church is most appealing to others. They're going to want to come and hear the message of Jesus when grace is most apparent. They're going to, you're, you're going to be your most amazing when grace is most apparent. And I know this because Christmas Eve is coming. Many of you have invited family. You've probably invited friends to come out and join you on Christmas Eve. And you've invited people, and some of those people have been like, nope, I'm not, you know, I don't do the church thing. Christmas is about Santa Claus and the elf on the shelf. I don't go to church on Christmas Eve. You get some pushback, or maybe you've been turned down. And the reason that they've turned you down, I promise, I almost guarantee you, it has nothing to do with what's written in the Gospels. It probably has nothing to do with the message that Jesus teaches. It probably has nothing to do with Jesus at all. My guess is it has to do with past experiences. It has to do with people that they met at church. It has to do with shame that they felt when they walked in those doors. Past experiences that they don't want to repeat. That the church, all of us together, not this old building or not you know, the fancy steeples, the church is most appealing when grace is most apparent. We are at our best we are at the most, the church is the most powerful, the most inspiring, can do the most good when grace is the most apparent. So as we leave this morning, I'm sure most of you are ready for Christmas. Your shopping's done, right? All the presents are wrapped. You've got your lights up. Some of you might not have enough lights up. I'm a big fan of Christmas lights. You know, you've got your stockings. They're hung by the chimney with care, with hopes that... St. Nicholas would soon be there. You're all ready for Christmas. Okay, you're all there. You're ready. But are you ready? Have you removed any of those planks that are going to come out when you encounter family? When maybe some relatives that you just haven't seen in a while show up 
and you just have this much grace to show them? Are you ready? Have you taken stock? Are you ready to see clearly, to begin to see those loved ones for the way that God sees them? Are you ready to see clearly, to encounter those people that maybe the speck in their eye is like a California redwood? It's bigger than a speck. It's bigger than you know what to do with. Are you ready? Because the grace that you show to someone this holiday season, it could change their life. It could change the direction of their life and their children's lives and their grandchildren's lives forever. If you would show them and give them what they don't deserve. So this Christmas, I really do believe, and I think this series is fitting, is that grace really is the most unset- the unsettling solution for just about everything. And Siri just came up. Jesus was full of it. He extended it to people when they least expected it. People that were nothing like him. He extended grace to them. So let's do that. Let's be those people. Let's be that church. Let's do something so unsettling and give people what they don't expect and what they don't deserve, but they so desperately need. Would you join us Christmas Eve as we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for just this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and, and, and hopefully be convicted by this message, God. I know as I've prepared over the last couple of weeks, it's been difficult to process. I pray that you help us to take a hard look in the mirror, to look at people and see them the way that you see them, not the way that our past experiences or our upbringings have conditioned us to see them. Pray that you will break our hearts for those around us. We love you. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, and we celebrate that day. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.